from the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, it's the Ramsey Show, where we help people build wealth, do work that they love, and create actual amazing relationships. Ken Coleman, Ramsey personality, number one best-selling author of the book Paycheck to Purpose, and host of the Ken Coleman Show is my co-host today as we answer your questions about your life and your money. As a reminder, Ken's show is all about career and all about job and all about finding work that you're passionate about, good about, and creative about. Yeah, so he can help you with all that, too, while we're here. Again, phone number 888-825-5225. James starts this hour in Canada. Hi, James. How are you? I'm doing very well. Better than I deserve. How are you, Dave? Better than I deserve, sir. What's up? This is an honor to talk to you. I am such a fan of the show. Well, I'm honored to talk to you. How can we help? <laughs> uh, just, uh, I just have a quick, well, not even a quick question. Uh, me and my wife are, are planning to get out of debt as soon as possible. And I just have a question that's been lingering on my mind. I have uh, some investments, about $5,000 Canadian, in uh, some ETFs. And uh, I'm just wondering if I should sell my investments to pay off debt. Okay. What kind of debt have you got? I have a line of credit that's about $19,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have some credit card debt and, uh, and a car loan as well. How much so do you, owe on, how much do you are, owe on your credit cards? Uh, my credit card itself is about $13,000. Okay. Um, so there's a there's an old yeah. rule that I've learned. I've twisted it around a little bit and used the rule because it's a decision-making uh, framework that's helped me a bunch. It comes from okay. the Harvard Investment Newsletter. And um, the guy in there say, says when you've made a bad – when you made an investment and let, let's say you bought a stock at $100 a share and it went down to $75 a share. Okay. And so you're about to lose, you know, you're going to lose money if you sell it while it's down, but you really don't think it's ever going to come up. It's not, it's not, it's a crummy company. It's probably going to go on down, but you're waiting on it to at least come back to where, what you paid for it. His point is what you paid for it doesn't matter. All that matters is the future of the stock from $75 What's it going to do? Go up or down? And his what he says is, don't analyze it based on what you paid for it. That's called a sunk cost analysis. Now, I'm, that's an investment process. Okay. Now, I'm, I flip that, and I use it in situations like yours or other situations like I'm in as well. Sometimes if you own something and you reverse engineer it, it tells you what you should do instantly. Let me give it to you in this way. Let's pretend you didn't have $13,000 in credit card debt, but you had $8,000 in credit card debt. Would you and you did not have a $5,000 ETF. Would you go buy in a borrow an additional 5,000 on your credit cards to invest into an ETF? Well, crud no. 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 I mean, we can answer that instantly, can't we? That sounds <laughs> stupid when no, you say it that way, no. doesn't it? But all that is yeah. is the reverse of your question. So if you would not borrow 5000 more on your credit cards in order to buy an ETF, we would instantly cash out the ETF to pay 5000 down mm-hmm. on the credit cards because it's the same difference, just backwards. Yeah, that's, you know what, when you say it like that, it's very, yeah. very obvious. It's kind of like you know, sometimes we get, we, get, we get paralyzed by these decision makings because we're stuck in the moment rather than in the reverse. You can do it with a boat. If you've got a boat sitting in the driveway that's worth $10,000, you mm-hmm. go, 
If I had $10,000 in the middle of my kitchen table, would I go buy a boat just like that if I didn't have that boat? Well, crud, no. We hadn't used the thing in five years. I'm tired of it. takes up space. I'm paying insurance on it. I, I, it's, it's, it's going down in value. Or we use it every weekend. The kids love that boat. Of course I would go buy that boat if I had $10,000 and I didn't have that boat. Well, then you keep the boat then. But if you go, well, no, I would never buy that boat again, then it's way past time to sell that boat, right? You, you just reverse engineer it, and it tells you what to do in these situations. Ken does it with a job don't you? I mean, you could go in and go, I yeah. hate my job. Well, if you didn't have this job today, would you take this job? Lord, no. Then why are you still working there? It's you know, so it's true. Like, yeah. Yeah. People say, should I stay or should I go? And I said, well, uh, just the fact that you're answering the question. Yeah. We need to go. Yeah. You wouldn't stay if, if I had a job waiting for you today. So that's absolutely right. It's a great, great analogy. Yeah. Right? So that, that, that's how I'm going to tell you. Um, and, and, but more importantly is the why or how the process we use to make the decision, James, it tells us instantly with a little bit of a reverse engineering. Now, uh, um, you know, that's why we tell people not to take money out of a retirement plan because there's a big penalty and a big tax in order to put the money into your credit card. It's going to hit you in, in the States. It would hit you about 40% between penalties and taxes. So that's like saying, Dave, would I borrow 40%, borrow money at 40% interest to pay down on my debt. Well, crap, no, that's dumb. We're not doing that. And so same that, that that's yep. why we tell you not to cash out retirement, but yes, to cash out the ETF. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And in this case, huge momentum coming out of this decision as well. You know, you know, I think Ken, the, the great resignation that we just came through after the Fauci pandemic, everybody mm -hmm. quit their jobs because they wanted to have a better life. Yeah. Um, was caused a little bit by that. Yep. But even the great regret by people wishing they didn't quit their jobs mm -hmm. uh, is also caused by that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, no, all no this, it's all this. It was more emotion-driven, impulse-driven than it was thinking, okay, I don't want to live this way. That's exactly right. Well, we're trying to get the quick fix. And the quick fix was I'm going to leave a company where I'm valued, and I actually enjoy the work, and I'm going to go over here for a 15% raise. Then they got there, and it wasn't what they thought, and the raise wore off. The high, you know, there's a decision like, oh, I make a decision and I get ahead quick. You feel like you've gained the system. Then they're there for three months. This place sucks. And that's what you call the great regret. And by the way, what Dave's talking about, folks, we're talking about millions of workers, millions, millions who said, I wish I had stayed at my previous company. This is not like a little trend. This was a major wave of people. And again, we were trying to game the system and get the quick fix. And you realize, oh, I would have been better off staying where I am. I'd be happier, more fulfilled. And that affects my my anxiety, depression, which affects my sleep, my physical life, my relationship life with my wife, my kids. If I'm dragging all that crap from work home with me uh, and I didn't get that much of a behavior change. And to this point, if you took a 15% raise to try to pay off credit card debt or to pay off, well, I can live more and you just kept spending. And by the way, Dave, that's what we've seen right now in our economy. We just got the latest reports out. The GDP's up because the consumers in America are spending like Congress. And credit card debt is going up with it. And we've got to take control of our spending, take control of our habits, and getting out of debt, back to this call, uh, and, and not just chasing the next big thing. It's the discipline to say, I'm going to change my life, change the way I act, and those are going to guide my decisions, not the next big, quick fix to feel like I just game the system. Yeah. You change who you are. More money to get in a worse place. 
wears off in about 20 minutes. Really fast. Yeah, you get a career hangover from that one. Yeah, and then you try to drown it out with credit card debt. <laughs> Ouch. Funny how Not that James, works. though. James is going to pay down his credit James card is a good debt man. with an ETF. This is The Ramsey Show. Hey guys, it's Rachel Cruz here to tell you about a faith-based alternative to health insurance that can make healthcare more affordable, Christian Healthcare Ministries. CHM allows members to share each other's healthcare costs, and it's as easy as one, two, three. Step one, choose the healthcare provider you want. Step two, submit your eligible bills. And step three, get reimbursed. CHM members take care of your eligible medical bills. With no network and the freedom to choose your healthcare provider, CHM is the best option for Christians who want to take care of their families and help other believers. Find out more at chministries.org slash budget. That's chministries.org slash budget. Ken Coleman, Ramsey Personality, is my co-host. Open phones at 888-825-5225. Jaden is in Portland, Oregon. Hi, Jaden. How are you? Pretty good, Dave. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. What's up? So my income has drastically increased in this last year, and I'm trying to find out if I should buy a house soon with 3.5% down or if I should wait and put down the 20%. Okay. Tell me your story. What's happening? Um, so, well, I was just working regular jobs. I'm not making too much money a year, and then I got offered a job where now I make hundred twenty grand a year. I'm only 19 years old. Um, I was living in my van, this job, I do have housing, um, but I have a fiance at home who's still living in the van with our pups. So that's why I'm kind of trying to figure out if I should put down three and a half percent, get her out of the van, or if I should wait and put down 20%. Okay. So you go from a van to housing is furnished, but they won't let your fiance stay there. Um, no, cause, um, I, uh, kind of, I can't talk about what I do too much, but I just work with individuals um, that uh, just need some extra help. So I'm away from home for two weeks at a time. So I'm with another person in the room and they can't come along with me. I see. Okay. Um, Why is renting not an option in this? You've given us two extremes, I feel like. Yeah. Going from a van to buying your first house. Congratulations I- on the income. But why is renting on your own not a part of this equation? Um, the renting is only out of the equation because um, where I live, rent is uh, very high. I understand make a lot of money. Um, but I really like saving my money because I've been watching you for a while. And spending money, I just, it just makes me not feel good. And I have a big dog. And with the big dog, a lot of places won't let me in. So then I'd be looking at paying like two grand plus for housing. And uh, that I'm just kind of not really too fond of. We've been living in the van now for almost two years. So we're kind of comfortable in it. So she would be all right waiting until 20%. You're comfortable in the van with a giant dog? Yeah, well, it's like an RV van. So it's a van, but it's an RV. So it's all fitted out like an RV. And uh, we're outside people. So usually we're outside. Um, Jaden. And the puppy, like the dog, he's pretty good in the van. Yeah. Jaden, um, when Sharon and I got married, um, I refused to move into an apartment because I had two big dogs that I loved. And, um, one was half malmute and the other one was um a um uh, a fire dog what uh, oh, Dal- dalmatian. dalmatian dalmatian the dalmatian didn't like animals and 
I mean, didn't like people, and the uh, Malmute didn't like animals. So uh, I was a 22-year-old genius, and I moved into a rental property uh, instead of moving into an apartment. Uh, The first week, the Dalmatian bit a jogger, and the Malmute ate the neighbor's cat. And uh, so I decided I was not going to be able to keep my large dogs that I love because they were going to cause me to lose everything I owned, even though I love dogs more than just about most humans. But I had to give away those dogs, um, and I had rented a property, a particular property, nothing to do with my wife's needs or my needs, but the needs of the dogs, and they didn't make it three weeks. Um, I tell you that story yeah. to say, uh, sir, I'm an old man, and so I'm going to give you old man advice. Don't make decisions about where you live based on a dog, ever. Don't make decisions about where you make your fiance live in a van ever. And um, if you're, she's your fiance, let's set a date, get married, and go rent an apartment, and or go find a place in the country and rent it for the big dog. Only to discover three weeks later that he ran off to Tennessee, and now you've got to, a place to in Uncle the country. Dave's house. <laughs> so he came to he come to my house. That's where he ended up. He's uh, what, that, what was that movie? Uh, homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. He'll be yeah. Homeward Bound to Tennessee and hang out with Uncle Dave. But um, yeah, so. Uh, I'm just telling – this is an actual true story. I actually did this dumb butt stuff, Jaden. And so uh, this was so long ago. We've been married 42 years, and so there were actually newspapers in those days, and they had these things in them called classified ads. So I put free dogs ad in the classifieds. And uh, we moved out of that property uh, four months later and moved into an apartment that cost half as much. And uh, cut, our, cut our rent cost in half, that, and that was the dogs. It was all on the dogs, the free dogs that I gave away. What happened with the name? Who, who owned the cat? Oh, the cat. And the, 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 that neighbor still got, they're still telling the story. And the, the poor jogger had pipe prints. That, those this. dogs are meaner than snot. Those those uh, Dalmatians are one-man dog. That's yeah. why they put them on fire truck. Nobody, I didn't Nobody know messed with a fire truck because they're mean. I didn't know that. But um, that was the only mean dog I've ever owned. But I didn't own it long and so um <laughs> i never heard that story yeah so <laughs> Jaden, this is going to be you telling the story someday yeah only you're going to look uh as dumb as i look or you're going to get rid of the dog and go get an apartment son yes. and put your yes. fiance in there and by the way go ahead and see the preacher this weekend and get married and um yeah. get it all done at once it, don't don't make your decisions based on this it's it's not romantic to live in a van there's nothing romantic about it the only it's, thing I didn't get to ask him was I'm still I still was, got Saturday Night Live skit ringing in my head. In I was going to ask him if down, down by, by the, the river. river. If he still, lives by the river, it that it's would be that be the cake. end of it. That, yeah. I would be losing it with right a lion, now. giant dog. With a giant dog. Justin's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Justin, what's up? Hey, Dave, how are you? Better than I deserve. How can I help? Well, my wife and I we have some debt that uh trying to get and touch and just try to get it out from under us uh we've got some medical debt and some debt on our home and a vehicle okay now can i help i guess i'm just wondering the best way to get out from under it and we've also i've got some land and we're wanting to build on it, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of wanting to get some of this stuff. Yeah, you need to get the debt. Clean, you need to get the debt start. cleaned up before we talk about that. So, what's the total of the debt? 
it's probably around two hundred, two hundred thousand, probably. On what? A uh, hundred and forty-eight on a house. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Twenty the, the, on the, okay. Twenty on what? A vehicle. Okay. And what else? And I've got eighteen on a on a loan on the house. Eighteen thousand, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. about eight thousand in medical debt. Okay. And are you guys? Uh, is the medical event behind you now? Um, no. Uh, we we still have check. It's for our son. One of our sons. He has. We still have checkups on him. He's he's disabled, and mm-hmm. it'll be an ongoing thing, I believe. Okay. So you've got that in the. Um, um, you've got that in the budget, the ongoing, what do you, what's your household income, sir? Uh, around 60. Okay. All right. Well, what we teach folks to do is get on a detailed, tight, written budget. You can help you that with, help you do that with the every dollar app. You and your wife sit down together, give every dollar of this month's income an assignment food, shelter, clothing, transportation, and utilities, and then let's start paying down debt. First goal is baby step one, setting aside $1,000 as a starter emergency fund. Second goal is list your debts smallest to largest, pay minimum payments on everything but the little one. You have $52,000 in debt. You make $60,000 a year. If you paid off $26,000 a year, that's about $2,000 a month. That's very hard to do on $60,000. You'd be done in two years. Yeah. Or if you sell the car, you'll be done in one year. Yeah. I've thought about selling the car. My wife is not for it. Yeah, she's not for it. um, But but if you're going to build on this land, anytime in the next five years, you're going to sell the car. And you're going to start living on less than you make. You guys are not big overspenders. You don't make a ton of money. But you just don't have a game plan. It's not very dialed in. You could take the amount of money you've got and dial it in and be a whole lot better off, but you got to start making some decisions rather than just buying stuff randomly. So hang on. I'm going to put you into Financial Peace University. You and your wife go into that class, and you and your wife use the every dollar budget together and start making your decisions going forward, and you'll be just fine, sir. This is The Ramsey Show. Hey, listen up. When we invest, most of us have no idea where our money is going. But the reality is your investments could be funding social and cultural causes that you would never choose to support. With Timothy Plan, you can avoid putting your hard-earned money into things you don't approve of and invest in companies that line up with your values. With Timothy Plan's pro-life, pro-family filter, you can invest with moral responsibility while going after competitive returns. So while it's still true that you can't serve God and money, you can make your money serve your values. Contact your financial advisor today to see if Timothy Plan is right for you. Visit timothyplan.com for more information. Investing includes risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's investment objective, risks, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus available at timothyplan.com. Read carefully before investing. Mutual funds distributed by Timothy Partners, LTD, and ETFs distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LSE. 
Ken Coleman, Ramsey Personality, is my co-host today. I'm Dave Ramsey, your host. Thanks for joining us. Hey, the, the Ramsey Show annual listener survey is live. We want to know your favorite parts of the show, what you like, what you don't, what you want to hear more of, and uh, whatever it is, we want to hear from you. Two ways you can participate. Text the word SURVEY to 33789 or visit ramseysolutions.com slash survey. If you take the survey, you'll be signed up to win possibly a $500 gift card. Dad, come, man. We're paying people serious money to answer oh, yeah. some questions. But, or somebody some serious money. 500 bucks? That's sweet. Not everybody, but one person. That's still, my goodness gracious. Well, thank you for your help, all of you. We're we're thankful to you. Obviously, we're really thankful. Rachel's in Independence, Kansas. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Good. How are you? Better than I deserve. What's up? Hello. I was wanting um, a little bit of advice, if you could, about um, I, um, my ex-fiance and I broke up about a few months ago, and we have, over the course of the last five years, wrapped up some debts and that's what we have um, both of our names in and I've been advised um, that, um, by family members like, oh, the only way for me to start fresh and um, maybe get it, get our names off of each other's stuff is to go bankrupt and I just kind of wanted a, an outside um, perspective or outside um, piece of advice rather than just going off of like the lawyer's perspective. Yeah, asking a bankruptcy lawyer if you're bankrupt's like asking a dog if it's hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How, how old are you, Rachel? I am 29. Okay. How long have y'all been broke up? Um, it's been about two months. Mm. After five years, huh? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. So, how many different items are you attached to each other on? I, it looks like only about five-ish. Five-ish. Okay. What are the five-ish items? Um, a house, two cars, and then at least two, if not three, loans. I'm trying to find out if there's another one that's in both of our names or just mine. Okay. Right. No credit cards. Um, I have credit cards, but I don't believe both of our names are on the credit cards. Okay. Any checking accounts? Yes, I have. With both um, names? Oh, no, we didn't do that. Oh, no, of course not. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, but both your names are on the cars and on the loans, on the house deed and on the loan. Yes. Okay. What's the house worth? Um, that's a good question. Um, the lawyer asked or says you should look on Zillow. Um, I thought that there wasn't going to be any equity in the house. Um, but from what Zillow says, it's worth 130, and we have 90 on it. But we just refinanced. I don't know how mm-hmm. accurate that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you signed all of that. Okay. Signed all of it. Yeah. And, and what do you make? Um, I just got a new job, um, so I was making about, ooh, about 60-ish, 
65 a year now with the new job. I will be making like around 80, 85. Okay. All right. And what do you owe on the cars? What, um, about, each car, which which each car, and what are they worth? Um, the the one is worth forty. Well, we got the loan for forty two thousand. I think we owe about thirty something left on the truck, and then another car. It's around twenty thousand, and I believe we still owe around that. Okay, and which one are you driving? Um, the car. Okay. All right. Um. Okay, and uh, I'm assuming you have discussed this with him after the breakup. What's that sound? Yeah. Like? What's that sounding like? Yeah, we um, seem to we divvied up expenses. Um, he got since he and the boys. Um, I want you know I didn't want them to move out of the house. I decided to move out. We I'm sorry, the, the boys. He has, he has um, boys from a previous marriage. Oh, his sons. Yeah. Okay. All right. And they're in the house. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, what I would tell you to do, um, if you were my daughter, um, is to go, uh, hopefully with someone, uh, in your family, just to sit there for moral support and not say anything, sit down and meet with him in person and say, um, this is an ugly mess. And neither one of our lives go forward easily with this mess unless we together figure out some way to undo the mess. Here's my proposal to undo the mess. Okay. Uh, You refinance the house and get the mortgage off of my name and I will deed it to you. You get the truck out of my name either by selling it or by refinancing it. I will do the same with the car that I'm driving. I will either sell it or I will refinance it and get your name off of it. That will leave only $8,000 that the two of us have to pay off together. And I'm going to aggressively pay that off uh, probably uh, in the next few months. Okay. Okay. Because if you don't do that, it's all going to land in his lap and you will have filed bankruptcy for no reason. Because you're not bankrupt. You just have a partnership disillusionment. Another route you can go, technically speaking, but it's not very practical, is if he refuses to do what I just asked him to do, um, you can sue him for the disillusionment of a partnership. What you have technically, and you'd have to ask a different attorney, not a bankruptcy attorney about this, is my opinion is you have a general partnership without any partnership documents or agreements. The two of you as two individuals that were not married went and bought a bunch of crap together. And um, now that partnership has to be undone, and you're asking the court to force him to do what I just asked him to do. That'll Mm -hmm. cost you about $10,000, probably, Mm -hmm. if you're lucky. I wouldn't do with that. I I might sue him just to get him to make him do it, and then the suit gets dropped. Hopefully, you don't take it all the way to court, though. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Uh, filing bankruptcy on this, uh, you know, it's kind of like taking poison and hoping he dies. You're killing you when you file bankruptcy and he gets all the debt. He's going to be left with the car, the truck and the house and the $8,000 debt. 
that's what he's going to be left with. All of that gets dumped on him when you're no longer on it because of bankruptcy. But you're and you're free, but you now have filed bankruptcy, um, which is like dropping an atom bomb on a piss ant in this situation. It's a little bit overkill. A lot overkill is what I'm trying to say. So I think the two of you ought to try to sit down and work this out like two mature adults. I have a feeling that's probably not possible, though. What do you think? We have sat down and talked. Um, so both of our, just over the last few years, our credit has tanked really bad. So we have talked about doing this in the future. So how about selling all three of these things then? Sell the house, the truck, and the car. Mm-hmm. Everything gets sold. Uh, well, I mean, we, they wouldn't have a place to live. And I oh, darling, how. there's all kinds of rental properties right there around Independence freaking Kansas. And you get you a hoopty, and you're not bankrupt, and you got out of this mess. Yeah. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, when I tell you people shacking up not to do this, Rachel is a case study on why not to do this. Don't buy a house with people you're not married to. Don't act like you're married to people you're not married to. Don't set up life with people you're not married to. You get screwed in the process, metaphorically. This is The Ramsey Show. Ken Coleman, Ramsey personality, is my co-host today. Open phones at 888-825-5225. Ken, for a uh, old-fashioned dinosaur like myself, it was shocking to me about a decade ago when I read the statistic that actually more couples in America today uh, live together that are not married than are married. Uh, there are more people, quote, unquote, shacking up. Mm. Uh, than ever before and so the problem of our last caller comes up um it's exasperated it gets it gets really really bad in those situations so the thing is that um it can come off as some kind of old-fashioned moralistic thing which is fine i'm an old-fashioned moralist in a lot of ways i'm happy to go with that i'm the anti uh to the I'm, i'm that side of the coin if you will and I'm comfortable in my own skin on that, but that's not my, my motivation. My motivation is what's good for you. We love you. We want you to win. And what's good for you is to not own a house with somebody you're not married to because then you move out and you can't get it out of your name, and then you get married to somebody else and have a beautiful life except you can't get a house because you already got a house in your name, and you're messed up, and you're stuck, and the person's being unreasonable that is the very reason you broke up in the first place in the past and certainly cars, and buying things for people, and paying debt for people that you're not married to, and always under the heading of, this is love. Mm. Well, this is not love. This is stupidity. That's right. That's right. Because what happens is, things do go sour. And now all of a sudden, what should just be a painful moment now becomes a painful season. And that's the problem, is trying to you know extrapolate all of this stuff and pull all of it out and fix it and this could get really ugly for people pretty quickly because then now you don't have you don't even have the the marriage situation to have a judge speak into it gets really tricky and i think that's what people miss oh it's gonna work out it's gonna work out he loves me he loves me well he may love you but that doesn't mean it's gonna work out and you're setting yourself up for a lot of trouble yeah it, it just um and and here's the other thing okay the data the actual statistical evidence is there 
and in the financial world or the socio or socioeconomics world, um, it's called the marriage advantage. Yes. That even, and I'm not, you know, not mad at you if you're married or you're single or whatever. None of that matters. It's just a data issue. Okay. The data is that a young man who gets married 20 years later has a higher income than a young man who doesn't get married. Some, it's a data advantage. It's an advantage in the data. A young man, young woman that gets married uh, 20, at 25, 25 years later has a much higher net worth. They have a higher net worth. They have a higher income. Um, on average, that's, that's, right. the, that's the actual data that's out there. And part of it is the setback that occurs if you get yourself tangled up like poor Rachel's tangled up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and uh, you know, because what this is going to end up now, she's now gone from a 50000 to an $80,000 income, mm-hmm. gotten rid of said boyfriend slash fiance. By the way, a fiance without a date is a glorified boyfriend. You got to set the freaking date. Yeah. Okay. When are we getting married? In two freaking years? Paint or get off the ladder. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Okay. This is not a fiance. This is a we're playing house and trying to make it look a little bit better yeah. uh, to our more moralistic friends. Uh, well, he's my fiance. Well, that matters not at all, obviously, because now here you sit with two car payments, a house payment, and you only got one of the cars. Hello. So this is how this ends up happening. Uh, you you really get yourself into a mess. And the the data is out there on the poverty cycle as well that's associated with this. So uh, professor, professor, I'm reading now from some of my notes, Bill Galston, who was in President Clinton's domestic policy advisor, um, said they did a study showing the things you only have to do three things to avoid living in poverty graduate from high school marry before having a child and have that child after age 20 if you do those three things only eight percent of the people who do so will be at the poverty level if you do not do those things 79 percent who fail to do all three will be at the poverty level wow that's a huge indicator mm-hmm. now that was, these are not hard things graduate from high school don't get married or don't have a baby before getting married and have your first baby after age 20 and you have an eight percent chance of being in poverty if you don't do those three things you have a 79 percent chance of being in poverty well the rich get richer and the poor get poorer nope the people who do rich people stuff get richer and the people who do poor people stuff get poorer. Mm-hmm. It's the way we live our lives that causes us to reap the things in our lives. I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, and they've cost me money every time. Only 4% of homes with a married mother and father are on food stamps. Mm. Only 4%. 21% of those cohabitating government for shacking up and 28% of single mothers are on food stamps. Only 4% with a married father and mother in the home. 78% of married people own their own home. 41% of shacking up people own their own home. Hmm. Home ownership, by the way, is one of the key elements in wealth building to move you from lower middle class, lower class to upper middle class or upper class financial strata in socioeconomic measures. This is data, people. 
This is data. This is the result of these moral decisions. A major 2014 report from the American Enterprise Institute for Family Studies at the University of Virginia reports that family income is 73% higher for married women than unmarried women. Hmm. I can help you with part of the reason. Can you? I, instantly, I can come to the conclusion. I don't, I'm, I'm reading into the research. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm commenting on the data. I've got one. If word. you don't have to work, you can demand more money because mm. you can walk out and say, "Take this job and shove it." <laughs> That's right. And so, if you you know, if you got two of you working, I'll guarantee you the husband's making more money too because his wife's bringing in money. The two of them are making money. He's done have to put up a crap off of some toxic situation, and somebody won't give him a raise. He'll go someplace that go got upward mobility. Yeah. She can do the same thing. She's not going to get mistreated in the marketplace. Married men benefit from an average annual economic marriage premium of $15,900 a year, more income on average than their unmarried counterparts. This is data. Now, where did we lose this data in the decision that half of you, more than half of you, are cohabitating rather than being married? And all it does is require a trip to the preacher or the courthouse. It's not rocket surgery. It's not hard to figure out. And the advantages are all over the place. The legal advantages, the relational advantages, the economic advantages I've just outlined for the past 10 minutes. Yep. And, and, oh, we can say the spiritual advantages, too. Okay, they're there as well. Um, Because God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, and it is not to bring you harm. It's to give you hope. And he says, hey, kid, this is the best way to live your life. And then the data backs it up. Who knew? Well, you know, there's a theme going on. I think what we see in the data is that the word commitment, when we live it out, commitment makes a difference. Commitment requires you to be selfless, not selfish, and the antidote uh, to all of this convenience living. Because this is all about convenience. The other side of the commitment is convenience. Well, we're going to hmm. live together because we can, because we're we're fiancés. We're going to just. It's all about convenience. But the data shows that when marriage is about commitment, it's the bedrock of the whole thing. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. Uh, and so with commitment comes selfless behavior. The selfless behavior leads to more money. More money leads to momentum. And so all yeah. in the data there, I'm seeing a struggle, Dave, between two words, commitment and convenience. versus convenience. Yeah. I and think we that's live, what we I We live see. in a convenience-driven society. So I haven't given a whole bunch of you in social media a reason to hate on me or to unfollow <laughs> me in a while. So that's what this segment was for. It's to help you have a reason to go away. Some of you wanted a reason to go away. I just gave you one. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to help. You're out of touch, Dave. We love you. You Puritan. We love you. We love you. And we love you as you leave. Bye-bye. This is The Ramsey Show. 